Welcome to the Empire Files podcast. This is Mike Preisner. We are continuing our urgent coverage of the Navy disaster in Hawaii, which, despite being a huge crisis, is basically absent from national media coverage. We published a podcast a few days ago titled Red Alert at Red Hill, which I encourage you to listen to if you haven't already. It provides a lot of the context and background for today's shorter episode. We also just published a YouTube video where Abby reports on the latest details of the Navy cover-up. But just in the couple days since we produced these reports, so much more has come to light, and we wanted to talk to someone who was at the forefront of the struggle against the Navy on the island. Really quickly before I do that, I wanted to say that if you are living on Oahu as a resident or stationed at one of the military bases and you have information you think people should know about, please send it to us via email at theempirefiles at gmail.com as we will be continuing to cover this important and unfolding story. So with that, I am happy to introduce Wayne Tanaka. He's the chapter director of the Sierra Club in Hawaii, which has been on the front lines of fighting the Red Hill facility for years. Uh, And he's also an attorney who is leading legal actions against Red Hill. He's also a native of Oahu and a longtime environmental activist there. Wayne, thanks so much for joining us on the Empire Files podcast. Thank you, Mike. Great to be here. Well, you know, I wanted to start, the last report that we did on this was really when the story had just broke. The Navy had finally admitted that they detected fuel in the water supply, uh, which was shut down. You know, they, of course, went into PR mode, starting to hold town halls and, you know, finally giving information to the public and their own service members. We had that emotional press conference by Ernie Lau announcing the shutdowns and the potential for this problem to continue. Uh, But, you know, a lot has come out since that day, December 3rd. Um, And so I wanted to talk to you about some of that. But first, I wanted to ask, do we still not yet know the full scale of what has happened? I mean, is the Navy saying we've leaked this many gallons of fuel or is it still unknown what is still coming potentially into this aquifer and really the level of the disaster that's happened? Uh, that's correct. We we really don't have any idea how much fuel is leaked, um, where this fuel is coming from, uh, if this is an active leak. You know, the Navy mm-hmm. has said, you know, where they suspect uh, this feel this contamination might be originating from, but, you know, they, they, um, they really have no hard answers at this point. Right. So it could be something that had been leaking a long time ago and has just reached the aquifer. It could be a major leak that started recently and, and led to more chemicals. And so is there, is there concern that this could actually be a, a, a much bigger problem that is way more difficult to remediate than they're making it seem? It's a huge concern. It's a huge concern. You know, we did have in May uh, a leak of about 1,600 gallons. Um, there is a 14,000 uh, fuel water mixture that was released just a few weeks ago uh, from a drain line. Uh, I don't know if these are the sources. Uh, we do know that the Navy's leak detection systems aren't perfect, and they actually mm-hmm. can't detect slow leaks. Oh, interesting. Um, so this, you know, and and we're also we also have questions about uh, whether these systems actually work as they say they do. Um, especially when we've had, for example, an active leak down in Pearl Harbor uh, that the Navy couldn't confirm for at least six months, if not longer. Right. I believe that's the case where they they knew that fuel lines were leaking into the harbor and they, um, you know, they didn't report it for, I think they said, quote, for political reasons, because there were some hearings around it happening or something. And so they uh, knowing that they actively hide the information when they do test things positive. uh, But then you're saying there's even a question of whether their testing methods are are efficient enough as as they are. 
Uh, yes, exactly. And so we did file a public records request mm -hmm. regarding that active leak situation. Uh, the, the State Department of Health uh, was not did not comply with the law uh, with regards to uh, um, our request, and so we actually had to file a, a suit in, in state court. Right, and I do want to talk about that in some of the newer updates with what the Navy has done and everything. But first, I do want to take a step back and ask, you know, how long, can you talk about how long you have been aware of this disaster in waiting, how long the community has been fighting, the actions of your organization throughout the years? I mean, this is something that people have been sounding the alarm about for some time. Can you speak to that? Uh, yes, of course. Uh, so, you know, these tanks were built in uh, the early 1940s. Um, they're almost eight decades old. Uh, throughout the 20th century, since their construction, they've leaked, they've chronically leaked. Um, in, in total, at this point, at least 180,000 gallons of fuel. Um, so concerns have been raised for decades. Uh, most recently, in 2014, there was a, a very large spill of about 27,000 gallons mm -hmm. of fuel. Um, that's that really uh, sparked. That's what sparked all of the more, mm -hmm. I think, current attention. Um, there was an administrative order of consent that came out of, that resulted from that spill. Uh, a number of the things that the Navy was supposed to do still have not been completed. For Sierra Club, uh, you know, we uh, knowing that these tanks actually have ne have never been permitted, um, we filed a lawsuit in 2017 to uh, ensure that the state's underground storage tank application uh, requirements did apply to this uh, to the Red Hill facility. Um, we prevailed in that lawsuit. Um, federal law does allow states and municipalities to further regulate underground storage tanks. Um, you know, with that uh, ruling in hand, um, we then had to sue again to uh, ensure that the automatic approval timelines mm -hmm. for the Navy's permit application uh, would not would not result in the Navy getting their tank, the facility, automatically approved and permitted mm -hmm. by the Department of Health. Um, and we prevailed in that lawsuit. Um, and then so, and then now we're in a contest, what's called a contested case hearing, mm -hmm. which is kind of like an administrative legal proceeding mm -hmm. uh, to challenge the Navy's permit application. Right. And so I, that is an interesting dynamic because on the one hand, you have the Hawaii Department of Health hitting the Navy with heavy fines. You know, they are fined uh, $325,000 for failing safety inspections and having a long list of violations that showed that they really had no regard for the integrity of the tanks and the potential for them to leak. Uh, you also recently have the Department of Health making very strong statements to the media um, against the Navy, essentially saying that they had to fight and struggle to get the data that they were owed from the Navy about the leaks. You know, the Navy was trying to withhold that information and made the DOH, you know, really fight to get it. Um, and then recently you have, uh, which we'll talk about after, like these orders that the Department of Health has given to the Navy, you know, telling them they need to drain the tanks and all that stuff that the Navy very much uh, does not want to comply with. So it would seem that the Department of Health, the Hawaii Department of Health, is fighting the Navy on this. But then on the other hand, you know, we have these fines against the Navy from the Department of Health, but then we have the Sierra Club suing the Department of Health for not doing enough to regulate Red Hill. Can you explain what is going on here? Uh, so a lot of the more recent developments you've mentioned in terms of, uh, you know, the fines um, against the Navy, uh, the um, statements regarding the Navy's failure to submit uh, uh, test results in a timely manner. You know, this all occurred, you know, in the last um, month and a half. Mm -hmm. 
so our, our earlier legal interventions, I think, were, were kind of, you know, the Department of Health is in a different place now. I think, mm-hmm. um, you know, in prior years, it, maybe they weren't necessarily uh, as proactive in trying to address the concerns that, you know, we in the community have been raising for a long time. Right. So it seemed that those that those many years of, of community pressure and your legal actions is what is responsible for there being at least some pressure from the state on the Navy right now. No, I'd like to. I'd like to think so. Um, you know, our both the administrative order of consent and our contested case proceedings. Um, through those uh, actions, we've been able to get a lot of information mm-hmm. um, and ensure that that information is being examined by the, by the right folks and is available to the right uh, people, including the public. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's um, that, and and the coverage by local media who've been doing a. a, a really great job at digging in and and really cutting through a lot of the um you know the technical information the uh excuses that the navy you know continually puts forward and and um ensuring that people know that this is truly an existential threat to our to our island our way of life Right. And I do want to get into some of those excuses by the Navy about why they can't just do what's right and shut down the facility. Um, <clears throat> I wanted to ask you first, in uh, November, you know, your organization held a rally calling for the shutdown of the tanks. I mean, I think well aware of the potential disaster that was looming. And at that press conference, you said something pretty powerful. You said, quote, we have lost all faith in the local Navy command. I mean, and that's a, um, that would indicate that there is some history here uh, that, you know, despite your efforts, there's been quite an amount of pushback or failure on the part of the Navy local command. Could you explain what you meant by that and what was what was behind that statement? So uh, absolutely. Um, so one of the, you know, one of the biggest challenges, I think, is that local Navy leadership, uh, they do not stick around. Uh, mm. Every three or five years, they cycle out, um, and so there's really no assurance uh, that that they can provide, given that short tenure, um, that they that they're taking these issues seriously. Um, you know, even if something catastrophic does happen, they're gone, right. and and we're right. stuck living with the consequences. Um, and so I think as a result of that, a result of uh, maybe a lack of funding uh, from the federal government, uh, which is a bit ironic. Um, you know, they've focused more on trying to keep everything seemingly copacetic, um, downplaying concerns, uh, trying to assure everyone that they can somehow uh, think of everything that could go wrong and prevent that, which they can't, mm-hmm. uh, and that their system of systems, uh, which is what they call it, of, of safety procedures and protocols are sufficient, uh, which they clearly are not. Right. Um you know, of course, you run into that problem of anyone in the Navy command structure. Their their goal is to get to the next level of the command structure. And so when you take a, on a command at Pearl Harbor, it's all about your next promotion. So your three years there at that command is all about really building your resume to get to the next level of the, the upper ranks of the officer corps. And of course, what would be required to really do what's right at Red Hill would be someone in the Navy command basically having to go against the Navy and really probably throwing their career out the window to, to do what's right. And so it, it seems that it's impossible for the change to come from within the Navy command, even though they are well aware of the danger that this poses and the leaks that are happening. Um, you know, h- how can you expect them to regulate themselves if you have these, like, like you're saying, a revolving door of people that are just doing their assignment to move on to the next one? Yeah, exactly. And, you know, the Secretary of the Navy was 
just there, uh, touring the tanks and, you know, put on his hard hat to go look at all of the stuff and everything. And he, uh, you know, he he made an interesting statement. You know, he tweeted out, quote, we're learning about the possible causes and ways to prevent this from happening again, end quote. Um, you know, the the first thing that struck me about that quote is he says, we're learning about ways to prevent this from happening again. But it seems that they don't know or they're not saying what this really is yet. The size of the problem, the size of the leak, what has happened. So it's almost like he's saying, oh, we'll prevent this from happening again when they have not yet even discovered what has happened. Is that accurate? Uh, yes, exactly. And that's, a, that's a, again, a, a theme almost of, of what's been going on. In May of this year, there was a, a, a you know, a, a leak of about 1,600 gallons, as I mentioned earlier. Mm-hmm. Uh, it took them until, uh, I think, October uh, to come up with the reports uh, det- that, you know, concluded as to, as to what happened, and which is, in that case was operate, operator error plus improper equipment and malfunctioning um, uh, malfunctioning sensors or sensors that didn't uh, catch the pressure changes that um, resulted in that, you know, that explosion. Um and right after that, I mean, actually, before that even happened, there was another, there were emails that subsequently came out indicating that there were additional uh, pressure issues with the valves. Navy officials thought that they were losing pressure in multiple places, potentially, and they'd actually shut down the facility uh, for nine days, I believe. And then after that, we had this, you know, 14,000 gallon spill. And then after that, we had, uh, you know, uh, uh, now again this mysterious contamination of of the Red Hill drinking water shaft, um, and so you know how you know they're gonna figure out what went wrong here, but how long is that gonna take, and how many more things are gonna happen right. while we're right. just waiting for the information? Right, and I think what really struck me as totally absurd is it, it seems like the plan that the Navy is floating right now is to not relocate the tanks, but to, quote, replace the tanks, which would mean still storing the fuel at Red Hill or under Red Hill, um, basically just gutting the tanks out and putting new tanks in to the same exact spot, a plan which they say will take at least 20 years, uh, so most likely more. And so there's the issue of you know, as they're replacing tanks one by one, what is going to what potential problems are there for leakage in that 20 years until the tanks are replaced? But then say they replace all the tanks 20 years from now, you still have, you know, 200 million gallons of fuel stored 100 feet above the aquifer. Uh, what what do you make of this this solution that is being put forward by the Navy when, you know, they could really just put it somewhere else? Uh, it's it's absurd. Uh, it's it's insane. And and you know clearly again you know they're not um, acknowledging reality, which is mm-hmm. that it's it's simply impossible to guarantee um, our safety when you locate you know such a huge amount of fuel directly above our water supply. What are like the worst case scenarios? What are the real big concerns that if this is a big leak, um, if it's a leak that's active and not stopping, what are the really the what's the potential next couple months going to look like? So I think that immediate concern for a lot of people um, is, you know, if this is an active leak or even if if it's a historic leak um, and we're just kind of seeing it uh, hit, hit our you know, the Red Hill shaft well, um, is uh, that it could eventually make its way to one of the the other um, municipal drinking water wells, um, that one of which is just one mile from the Red Hill facility and that serves uh, 400,000 residents on this island. 
um, as well as, you know, schools, the majority of hospitals, uh, businesses, you know, Waikiki, downtown Honolulu, these are all areas served by, by this aquifer and by that well. If that, if a plume reaches that well, uh, and they have to shut it down, we're going to be in very dire straits. Um, I think the Board of Water Supply was talking about 10 years of water conservation mandates, wow. um, low wow. pressure. Uh, and in, But in addition to that, though, you know, this groundwater aquifer also serves a number of environmental and agricultural purposes, mm-hmm. as it always had. Pearl Harbor was once a, you know, renowned as a super abundant fishery. There are something like 30 fish ponds, which require fresh groundwater flow. Mm-hmm. You know, there's um, all kinds of estuarine habitat, riparian stre- uh, stream habitat for native species that will be impacted. Um, and petroleum is actually, you know, if you look up the safety data sheet for petroleum, it has a very long-term harmful effects on aquatic life. That's really tragic. And, you know, it's because this is something that's in the ground, in the rock, from rock samples and so forth. I mean, say the leak was just a brief leak and it stopped. You know, there's still all these chemicals that are making their way to the aquifer. Like, what does remediation even look like? Like, how can you even clean something like that up? Um, I think the Navy's term uh, for that is natural attenuation. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so not cleaning it up, up, letting the earth heal itself, I guess? Yes. And, and you know... Uh, Maybe there's there's things that could address, you know, quote unquote, smarter spills like a, a thousand gallons, you know, here or there, which is still unacceptable. Right. Uh, but, you know, these tanks, again, what spilled historically has hit the groundwater um, just at 27,000 gallons in 2014 that hit the groundwater. These tanks each hold 12, up to 12.5 million gallons. Mm. And there's, you know, about 14 that have fuel in them. Mm-hmm. Uh, even a, a leak of a million gallons would dwarf what we've seen, wow. uh, which has already impacted the groundwater. Right. And there's just so much more potentially that could spill out. Um, you know, I did want to ask you about the the governor issued an order, the Department of Health issued an order, basically telling the Navy, you have 30 days to drain the tanks. I mean, and that's a pretty big thing. Of course, they're not ordering them to relocate the tanks right now. They're saying you have 30 days to get all the fuel out of the tanks uh, so that we could find what's going on and, and put in the necessary fixes and stuff. No doubt from the pressure from the community. Obviously, this is a huge issue that people are really scared about. And so the state leadership, of course, had to take some kind of uh, bold action. And I think, you know, having them drain all the tanks sounds like a bold action. But what are your hopes for that? I mean, is that does the Navy have to listen to them? Is, is there any real power that uh, local officials have over the Navy in this situation? And, and do you feel that this was a good response from the state to, to wager on the Navy? Uh, I think it's it's a much needed response. I think it should have happened years ago. Federal law does allow states and municipalities to further regulate uh, underground storage tanks, both procedurally and uh, substantively. And so the governor does have, you know, I think legal basis for issuing this order. I'm hopeful that the Navy will comply. Uh, they have, in per- pursuance of the order, they have 30 days to figure out if they even can safely defuel the facility, uh, we don't know where, you know, again, this, the current leak is coming from. We don't know if their uh, leak detection systems are actually working properly. So they have 30 days to figure out if, you know, if it's even safe to move the fuel off of the mountain and off of the aquifer. Uh, after that, they, they'll have, um, you know, if they have to take corrective action, they'll, they, they'll do that. And after they take those corrective, corrective actions, they have 30 days to then defuel the facility. I'm hopeful they, they stick with this with this timeline, if not, you know, um, act more expediently. I'm discouraged 
uh, by Secretary of the Defense Carlos del Toro's comment to a civil beat reporter that he would take an order as a request. Right. Um, Right. And so the question is, is if the Navy doesn't comply, how much is the state government really going to push back on the Navy and fight to get them to comply? If the Navy says, we heard your request, but, you know, it's not possible. I'm sure there's that concern. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And and so we'll, we'll have to continue our, you know, our ground campaign, um, continue to reach out um, to uh, national media uh, like yourselves, um, you know, get as many folks as we can to ensure that you know, the Pentagon, the top officials in the Pentagon, uh, including Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin, uh, even the President of the United States, who's the commander in chief, to make sure they know that um, the Navy will be violating the law if they, you know, decide to ignore this order, uh, dismiss it and not comply. And we also need to hold, you know, the governor accountable um, to, to what he said to make sure he sticks to his guns and enforces this timeline. Right. And so that's that speaks to the need of, of grassroots action around this issue, because, you know, that pressure is only going to come from below, you know, and I think that, of course, you know, justice here is, uh, you know, obviously urgent action to make sure that everyone is taken care of. The the spill is remediated. Whatever is leaking is fixed. Like there's, of course, the immediate, immediate things that have to happen. I think one of those things on that docket, though, is, you know, there needs some to, to be some accountability from the Navy leadership because there's been some obvious, uh, I don't know if you could call it criminal negligence or, or what, but there's been some serious, I don't even think you'd call them missteps. I think deliberate issues from the Navy command. I mean, one of those is, I'm sure you've heard that it it came out recently that the Navy knew that there were contaminants in the drinking water, in a drinking water well, back in July. And that was six months ago. And they did not provide the Department of Health that information. They didn't even provide their own service members living on the base uh, with that information. Um, They kind of continued to just cover it up, I guess you could say. And even when, uh, I mean, let's just look forward to November 28th, when the water was smelling like fuel. I mean, and this had come out that everyone was smelling fuel in the water, people on base, people off base. And the Navy leadership said then uh, that, quote, no immediate indication that the water is unsafe, despite the fact that it smelled like fuel. And it was only a few days later after people started showing up at the emergency room and uh, calling their Congress people and all that stuff that they came out and did say, ah, yes, actually, you know what? Uh, We did find fuel in the water. And so what do you think about this? I mean, that seems like it's um, that there's some I would say heads need to roll in the Navy command, but but also why would they do that? Why would they detect these toxins six months ago and not say anything about it, and then actually say when people are smelling fuel, we have no evidence that that it's unsafe? Uh, yeah. Oh man. So a couple of things. Couple of things. You know, they're they're hiding behind this excuse that there weren't, you know, testing sites on island that could provide them the results fast enough. I don't know why it takes months uh, even to get to go to the continent to get testing. Mm-hmm. I don't know why, knowing the, the huge risks that this facility poses and the critical importance to do everything we can to monitor the safety of our drinking water, they they've sound their hands um, for years. Um, and and when things finally uh, when the unthinkable finally started to happen, they were totally unprepared. Um, yeah, n- navies navy should have had plans, should have a, ha- should have had capacity uh, to monitor, to respond 
immediately, not months after the fact, uh, in terms of the petroleum contamination. Uh, they did not. With regards to the response, once the unthinkable did start happening, it was, I mean, a complete failure in leadership, um, a complete failure in competency, in in basic human decency. Um, you know, people were, it wasn't just a, a, a smell in the water. People were reporting rashes, um, nausea, vomiting, uh, pets were getting sick. And as this was happening, you know, like, as you said, they were declaring that they found nothing unsafe about the water. Uh, one of the uh, Pearl Harbor commanders even sent an email to folks saying that he and his people had been drinking water on base all day and that they should <laughs> essentially that they should be fine. And he's telling this to, you know, to scare to people that are right. seeing their community fall ill, um, pregnant women, nursing moms. That's just, I, I, it's flabbergasting. Yeah. And I, it's hard to find the words for it. And, you know, they, the thing is, is they keep doing it. I mean, it wasn't just when they were trying to cover it up, you know, back in late November, um, just last night, the Air Force command there had one of the town halls, just like the Navy did. You know, a few days ago, we, we reported on our last episode that uh, the Navy doctor was telling pregnant women there's no evidence of long-term effects of ingesting these chemicals, which is absolutely uh, untrue. Um, but even last night, uh, you had the Air Force Command hold a similar town hall where they were answering questions from the community. Um, and a military family was asking, you know, how do we know if the water is safe? Because we're not trusting, you know, what you're saying here. And the that Air Force commander said, literally, he said, quote, you are the best sensor. And what he meant by that was basically you know, taste the water, smell the water. If if you, if your senses are telling you that it's safe, it's safe. And that is just such an irresponsible comment. I mean, uh, because there can be levels of harmful levels in the water that you cannot smell or taste. And so this is just even, this is after all of this stuff has come out and they're under so much heat. I wanted to get your reaction to comments like that continuing to come out from the Air Force Command, really downplaying the risks here. And also, you know, we have listeners who are in the active duty military stationed at Hawaii. And, you know, what would your advice be to them? I mean, what... Obviously, we can't trust what the command is telling us. Like, what do people need to know to keep themselves safe as this plays out? You know, I, I just want to say it was so terrible for these these families that are being impacted. You know, um, so the, the the folks that you know they're getting a few gallons of water a day to drink, but you know, without running water, you can't bathe, you can't mm. brush your teeth, uh, you can't wash your clothes, wash your dishes. I mean, it's 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 my view is that as a leader, one of your main priorities is, is to protect your people, right? Like, like take care of your people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just wanted to know, you know, we are trying to set up independent water testing mm -hmm. um, uh, labs, or there are folks that are trying to do that. Um, they recognize that the Navy's testing may not be uh, as reliable or timely, especially with the latest news that the samples they sent to the continent uh, were damaged. <laughs> Right, something um, like sixty-seven percent of the samples were damaged. Right, it was like a, a great deal of them. <laughs> uh, I'm I'm thankful that um, folks, certain branches um, have been getting some support in terms of alternative housing. My understanding is that the Navy uh, is still having challenges uh, placing people. Mm -hmm. uh, there's, you know, there's, we're an island. Um, there's not a lot of 
uh, you know, even with all our hotels, you know, there's not a lot of capacity um, in terms of land space and and, and housing units. Um, so it's, it's it's a challenge. And we're, you know, more than happy to talk to folks who are affected. Uh, it's it's sad the amount of fear that people still have, um, not not just about their water, but about speaking out. You know, we've been feeling all of inquiries of folks who are, you know, they're terrified of what's going on, but also terrified of, of having your names revealed. And so we have to keep those things um, confidential. Right. And, you know, I, I, I hate to make this comparison because it's it's hopefully what's happening there on Oahu is, is nowhere near the scale of what happened uh, to Camp Lejeune. But uh, for one thing, the, the lesson from Camp Lejeune is is that it, it takes a fight from people in the community, from military families and service members to push the military to do what's right uh, on these issues. And and unfortunately, with that struggle, even though it was ultimately victorious over many, many years and really just no way for the military to deny uh, what they had done and, and, and everything, that there was this legal precedent that was set where the uh, Obama administration intervened in the Supreme Court case to make it so that uh, victims, you know, could not get compensation from the Marine Corps for the, the poisoning. And so uh, clearly maybe some, and that was, uh, you know, the Navy also. And so uh, hopefully the the way the Navy is operating is not, uh, that didn't set a precedent for their feeling that they have some kind of immunity uh, getting out of this. But I did want to uh, close by, you know, talking about the demand to shut down Red Hill. I mean, nobody, you know, the state governor, Department of Health, no one's calling for that yet. The Navy obviously is not entertaining that idea, but that has been, uh, the call from the community for a long time. And it just makes so much sense. Like, why would you continue to store these things there? And it seems like it's not, it shouldn't be that complicated of a thing to do, uh, especially it was pointed out in our last episode that it's, it, this isn't a top secret facility anymore. It's a, it's a big military target if they're going to try to make the argument about uh, security and, and all of that stuff. Um, why do you think there is such a reluctance by the Navy to do what it's right and, and shut down the facility? And, and what are some of the, the excuses that they've been giving about why they can't move quickly to, to, to fix this situation? Uh, so the, the excuses they, they've given, you know, it's it's they always say, you know, this is an essential, um, you know, uh, resource for the operations in the Pacific. Uh, they like that it uh, fuel can be transferred using gravity since mm-hmm. it's on a hill. Uh, they like that it's it's so old that it's quote unquote cyber hardened. It, it, there's no connectivity because it okay. was built <laughs> right. years ago. I think these are, you know, honestly, I think these are excuses. Um, again, you know, these these local commanders. Uh, these local local navy command the, these individuals are only here for you know a few years at a time mm-hmm. at a time they just want to keep everything copacetic mm-hmm. uh, seemingly so um they don't actually have you know i don't think they've i don't know if they they're not asked they haven't asked for necessarily or been given the funding resources necessary to start the the relocation of this field mm-hmm. uh you know there is a cost estimate that to rebuild a similar facility, it would cost about $10 billion. But again, it's not going to cost that much money to do what needs to be done right now, which is to relocate the field, right. get away from our water. It should have been happening decades ago. Um, and it's it's just so very unfortunate and, and very terrifying that it had to come to this uh, in order to, there, for there to be some action. And, and that the Navy is still in denial is, is, is again, very disappointing and very scary. Right. Um, And, 
you know, like as you mentioned, it's their they're looking to their next promotion and and not looking to to kick up dust there, which is what would be necessary to really fix the problem. Um, what do you people who know about this who aren't in Hawaii and recognize what a a serious issue this is? You know, what what can people do? I mean, what uh, as someone who's a leader of an environmental organization, what do you need in terms of support right now from people uh, outside of Oahu that are are very concerned about this? That's that's a great question. Um, we definitely need people um, to put pressure, you know, on Congress. Uh, if, if folks uh, can speak to their congressional representatives um, about the need to address this issue, um, and also to reach out uh, to the president and and to the Secretary of Defense, um, and and let them know, highlight that this is not only going to be devastating for the people of Hawaii and our environment, but it's. You know, if something catastrophic happens, this we're looking at a permanent stain on the legacy, you know, of the president and his administration. Right, and and there's a, a bit of irony that we're recording this on Pearl Harbor Remembrance Day, where all of the the military officials and everyone is is all talking about how how much they mourn the lives lost at Pearl Harbor. Uh, in world at the beginning of World War II, yet um, you know there are many more lives potentially that could be turned upside down and lost as well because of what they are actively doing and, and kind of failing to address there at the moment. Well, um, Wayne, was there anything else you wanted our our listeners to know before we wrap up? I guess I'd, I'd say that you know, just as we don't want what's happening with the military families to be a harbinger for our future here in Hawaii, you know, I don't think anyone else, you know, in on the continent or, you know, that are impacted by, you know, military facilities abroad. Um, I don't want this to be a harbinger for things that might happen to them as well. Um, I, I think, you know, this really, truly does reveal the shortcomings uh, in the military bureaucracy uh, and the system itself um, in terms of where its priorities are, how it values critical, precious resources, um, and the people and the environment that these resources, um, when compared to you know the what they view as their national security um, uh, pro- mission or, or priorities. Right. Well, I, I I agree with that, Wayne, and I appreciate your time. You know, a uh, a lot. It's it's already an uphill battle for en- environmental groups in this country fighting the the big polluters, but you are on the front lines of going against. Uh, one of the biggest polluters, and that's the U.S. military uh, institution that is not often uh, confronted in this way. And so uh, we salute the work that you're doing there, um, and hopefully we can inspire more people to, to support your struggle. Thanks again for joining us. Thank you, Mike. Thank you so much. 